I invite you to open to the book of Malachi, where we'll, beginning, where we'll be beginning excuse me, a new series through this minor prophet. Malachi is the last book in our uh, English New Testament. So if you're not sure where it is, open to the book of Matthew and then turn a couple pages backwards and you will be in Malachi. This morning, we will be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So we will read these uh, to get a sense of what the Lord says before we jump into the exposition and application of these verses in God's word. Malachi, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This is God's word. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the word which you have given to us. We thank you that you have given us this word by inspiration of your Holy Spirit for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness so that we would be thoroughly equipped. We ask now, Lord, that you would thoroughly equip us even as we begin this study of the book of Malachi. We pray that you would show us glorious things concerning yourself and that you would reveal Christ to us in the Old Testament for we know that all of the law and the prophets point us to Christ. We ask that you would do this the good of your people and the glory of your name. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Have you ever seen a movie or read a book where a king sends out a messenger into the various towns, villages, cities in his kingdom to give them a message? If you've seen a movie like this, you might uh, imagine right now that the messenger rides into the village square and before he proclaims this message, there's loud blowing on trumpets to get everyone's attention or the proclamation of hear ye, hear ye. So everyone perks up and looks to where this guy is and he says, I have a message from the king. Everybody leans in, very interested. They want to know what the king has to say to them. And then the messenger begins to proclaim whatever message the king has given to his people. You might have seen something like this. You might have read something like this. And that's something along the lines of what we're looking at this morning. As we begin this book of Malachi, we are reading a message from the king message given to his people. Even as all scripture is a message from God to us, yet here, a messenger of the Lord came to the people of Israel and proclaimed 
a distinct message from the Lord that we're going to look at to see what God had to say to his people as he prepared them for the coming of the Messiah, to see how the Lord desires his people to live and worship him. Because that's the kind of things that Malachi addresses. Now, Malachi is one of the last of the Old Testament prophets and in our Bibles. He is the last in the lineup. He lived about 450 years or so before Christ, at a time when the temple had been rebuilt. Israel had come back from exile, or at least a portion of them, and they'd resumed worship in the temple. But there are problems going on in Israel, especially problems concerning worship. And so the Lord sends a prophet to the people to reprove them for their sinful worship, for their sinful living, and to call them back to the Lord, to issue a call for reformation in the people of God. Malachi is is a call for reformation in the covenant community. And he sends Malachi, not just to say, oh, you need to get your lives right. You need to change the way you're worshiping and living. But he also sends Malachi to tell them of the coming of one through whom and only through whom this reformation will ultimately be possible. That is the coming Christ. Malachi issues this call for the people. And in these five verses, he begins this message, the oracle from God, beginning a message to tell the people that the Lord is sending a message given because of the love which he has for his people and to demonstrate his glory. These five verses can be summed up. It's this message from the Lord that Malachi brings is given because of the love of the Lord, which demonstrates the glory of the Lord. And those are the three general headings that we'll look at. As you see in your bulletin, we have these, these three different sections of this text. First, that this is a message of the Lord. God himself is the one who is sending this message to his people. And this message begins telling his people about the love of the Lord. And he's doing all of this. The entire message of Malachi to the people of Israel, ultimately for the glory of the Lord but also he tells them of his love so that they see his glory. So in verse one, we'll look at the message. And in verses two through four, we'll look at the love of the Lord. And then in verse five, we will see the glory of the Lord that Malachi expresses to the people as a message from God as we begin the study of this book. Well, let's look first then at this message from the Lord, the message of the Lord in verse 1, the title, the heading, we, receive, we read these words, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The oracle of the Lord is what this message is to the people. There's something interesting about uh, this initial introduction of the message And maybe as a way to help you relate to what's going on here, you can think of a time when you received a letter in the mail, or you could have received junk mail in the mail, and it would do almost the same thing, except this is not junk. What happens when you pull an envelope out of the mailbox and you look at it? You see a couple of things there, don't you? In the middle of the envelope, you see 
who that letter is sent to. And in the upper corner, you see the return address, the person who sent it. So you open it up, you start reading the message, you might see uh, what it's about. And ultimately, you get a lot of information from an envelope. And this opening statement from Malachi does a very similar thing. It gives us a lot of information about what Malachi is, is doing here as he proclaims the message of the Lord. The first thing that we read here is that this is an oracle from the Lord. Maybe your Bibles translate this as a burden. That is a more literal translation of the word that is used here. Because an oracle from the Lord is a heavy, weighty message. This is a special kind of prophecy to the people of God. One of reproof. It's a stern message. And Malachi, in the very beginning of this message to the people, says this is an oracle. This catches the attention, doesn't it? We might read this and say an oracle. Okay, move on. But for those who originally uh, read and heard this message, they said an oracle. Oh, something big is happening here. Something has gone wrong. And so the Lord has sent us this special kind of message to reprove us, to correct us, and to instruct us. This is a heavy message, and it's from the Lord because this is an oracle of the word of the Lord, the word of Jehovah. This isn't a man-made message. Malachi didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what? These people in my country are, are living terrible lives. I'm going to go to them in my own power and say, get better, do better. This is a message from the living and true God. This is the word of Jehovah God. And it's to Israel. Maybe some of you are thinking, okay, you said this is after the exile. Well, I, I know the kingdom of Israel uh, went into exile before the kingdom of Judah and they were, they were dispersed and there's, there was no more kingdom of Israel. Why is Malachi sending this to Israel? Is there some kind of weird chronological thing going on here? Or maybe you're not asking that question at all and you just take Israel at face value. And that's what we're supposed to do. This is a catch-all word for the people of God, the covenant community, the Jewish people, those who have received the word of the Lord, the law, the rest of the prophets, the writings, who should know what the Lord wants them to do and yet are not. And this is given to them by a man named Malachi. Malachi means my messenger. And that's all we're told about this man. Other prophets were told where they're from or who their father was. But the Lord here saw it fit to just tell us who this person is. It's his messenger. And that's all we need to know. And this emphasizes to us that this message is from God. This figure, Malachi, receives the word of the Lord and in obedience to the Lord goes and proclaims it to his people. He's not inventing it himself. He is telling the people this message is from the covenant God to his covenant people. You need to pay attention and listen. We do need to pay attention and listen, don't we? How do you receive the word of the Lord when you read it? This is a, a good question that this just small verse right here should 
raise in our minds. This is the word of the Lord. When you are reading God's word, when you're reading all of scripture, are you receiving it as the word of the Lord? Do you say, this is, this is a message from the living and true God? Or do you just kind of glance over it and you say, okay, that's a genealogy. There were a lot of names that I couldn't pronounce. I don't know what it means for me or what good it is. Or do you understand that that is the word of the Lord to you, to reveal to you glorious things concerning the Lord? We ought, to, we ought to always have this in the forefront of our minds as we come to the word of God, that it is the word of God and that he is speaking to us in his word. And we ought to see what he says about himself, who he reveals himself to be and how he does that. We should receive all of God's word as the word of the living and true God, receiving it with reverence and awe, taking it to us and thinking about it, meditating on it, holding fast to it, because God has given it to us as a gracious gift. It's a message. How does Malachi begin this message from the Lord? Well, I just told you that this is an oracle, a heavy message, reproof. And so one might expect Malachi to open right up cannons blasting, saying, Israel, you've messed up. You're sinning against God. But how does God speak to his people in the opening of this message? He sets the tone, telling them exactly why he's sending this oracle to them. It isn't because he's mean or cruel or wants to crush them. The Lord sends this message to his people out of love. Malachi begins this message with this, these words of the Lord. Beginning in verse two, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. God begins this message with a declaration of his love for his people. He says, I have loved you. Not I will love you. Not once upon a time I loved you, but I have loved you in the past and in the present. And I will love you even into the future. And this might seem kind of a strange way to open a heavy message of reproof, doesn't it? But the reproof is because of this love. Maybe you remember in, in Hebrews 12, we read that God chastens his people. He chastens those whom he loves. Why would God send a message of reproof to Israel unless he loved them? Why does God correct and reprove you, dear people? It's not out of harshness or cruelty. It's because of his faithful, steadfast love, which never ceases. The Lord loves Israel. We need, we need to understand from the context what this love in particular is talking about. This isn't just uh, the affection which God has for his people, but even though God does have great affection for his people, but when Jer uh, not Jeremiah, when Malachi, excuse me, is speaking of the love of the Lord here, this love is rooted in the eternal and everlasting 
electing love of God. Malachi clarifies that when he takes our minds back with God's message to Jacob and Esau. It's not Esau, Jacob's brother declares the Lord, yet I love Jacob, but Esau I have hated. These terms loved and hated are, are juxtaposed, telling us of God's choosing of Jacob and his rejection of Esau. It's not just mere affection, but it's setting love upon one person and one group of people and then passing over another person and his seed. The love of God is enduring towards the people of Israel because his love has been placed upon them for all eternity and never goes away. It's interesting how Israel theoretically responds to this. Malachi uses a rhetorical advice here. Anticipating Israel's question, this is a great doubting of God's love. Israel says, how have you loved us? You say you love us, Lord, but if we look at our history, we see all sorts of bad things have happened to us. We were exiled, and then we came back, and we were expecting glorious things to happen, but look at us. We rebuilt the temple, but it's not nearly as magnificent as Solomon's temple. We're back in the land, but we don't have a kingdom anything like what, what David and Solomon had. You love us, Lord? Why are we suffering then? They doubt the love of God. And I think oftentimes we might look at these kinds of things and shake our heads at Israel and say, you're doubting God? Don't you remember your your history? Don't you remember how God brought Abram out of a foreign land and blessed him? Don't you remember how God led the children of Israel out of Egypt and protected them? Don't you remember how he went before your armies and gave you success as you came into the promised land and took care of you? Don't you remember how he's given you prophets and how he's given you priests and kings to take care of you? We think, Israel, you're so quick to forget. But aren't we the same way? Israel doubts the love of God, but don't you often doubt the love of God. Bad things happen in your life and instead of looking at it and saying the love of God is great, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We begin to question, God, why are these things happening to me? This is such a worldly question, isn't it? It's the people who have no hope in Christ who say, why do bad things happen to good people? We know the answer is sin, but why do you doubt Why do you doubt, dear Christian? You know the love of God. You can look back to his word. You can see love displayed upon the cross as you think of the Savior who died for your sins. And yet so often we do doubt, don't we? And we must be reminded, even as Israel had to be reminded of the love of the Lord. We must also be reminded of God's great love for us. And praise the Lord that he reminds us of that over and over again by his spirit through the word which he gives us. Dear people, don't doubt the love of God. But when you do, 
Run quickly to the scripture and, and read of his faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Run to the Lord quickly in prayer and cry out to him, oh Lord, forgive me for doubt and unbelief, but give me greater faith. Help my unbelief and help me to trust in you, not doubting you. We should trust that this Lord who loves his covenant people never ceases in his love for them. We see the Lord declares his love for Israel. We see also here that the Lord has demonstrated this love for Israel, this covenantal electing love. He chose Jacob and rejected Esau, not for anything which they had done, but out of his own good pleasure. It wasn't because Jacob was so much better than Esau. In fact, Jacob and Esau were both scoundrels, weren't they? If we go back and, and look at the account in Genesis, we see, all right, Esau married pagan women and he despised his birthright and he wanted to murder his brother. But really, Jacob wasn't any better, was he? He lied and he cheated and he, he stole. He didn't trust the Lord, that the Lord would work and that the older would serve the younger. No, they took it into their own hands. It wasn't in anything good. It wasn't for anything good in Jacob that the Lord chose him. It was so that God's purpose of election might stand. As Paul says in Romans 9, to demonstrate the sovereign grace of God and taking one rascal and saving him and passing another one by. And in passing Esau by, he demonstrates his love for Jacob. How does he do that? God says, Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. God demonstrated his love for Israel throughout history by preserving them and being faithful to them, by protecting them against Esau, against Edom, when Edom came against them and not allowing Edom to prosper over Israel. He shows his love for Israel through this negative example, if you will, of how he cast down Edom even while Israel was lifted up. Edom was destroyed, but Israel was preserved. God placed curses upon Edom. That's this language of, of jackals in the wilderness. This is like curse language. It's one of the things that, that God promises in, in the covenant curses for Israel. If they don't obey him, then wild animals would inhabit the land. That's happening to Edom. Their land is made barren and they have jackals, wild animals inhabiting the land. But Israel even though they were unfaithful to the covenant. The faithful covenant God loved them, and forgave them, brought them back into their land. After a time of chastisement, he didn't leave Israel desolate, but gave them life. He didn't do that for Esau, for Edom. 
passed them by and even more, he actively worked against them. So much so that they're called the wicked country and people with whom the Lord is angry forever. While Israel is set apart as holy unto the Lord, Israel, uh, Israel is set apart as holy unto the Lord. Esau over here is left by and called wicked. Israel, holy, righteous people because of the grace and forgiveness of the Lord God. Esau condemned as their wickedness deserves. This is the people of Esau generally. But even though this country, these people are called the wicked country, even though as a whole they are the people with whom the Lord is angry forever, is not the Lord in Jesus Christ so gracious to individuals? Even though Edom is condemned, God is gracious and still saves people for himself. Not all hope for Edom is lost. In Mark chapter 3, as Christ is going about preaching, people from different areas and towns flock to hear his preaching. And Mark tells us, people from Idumea came and heard Christ. Idumea is a region in which Edomites came and settled in Israel. And people who were descendants of Esau, who were the people of Edom, came and heard proclamation of Christ, came and heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Though Mark does not flesh out those who continue to follow after Christ, I dare say that the Lord, out of his great grace and kindness, saved even Edomites, even as he saved Moabites and others. Because the Lord is gracious and kind. Amen. Grafting a people who were not his people into his covenant people so that the promise of God might stand throughout. <clears throat> his purpose of election might stand. And so Malachi proclaims this great covenantal love to the people of God. That's how he begins the message. And it's, it's shocking because we should be expecting harshness right off the bat. But the whole entire point for this reproof of God is because of his faithfulness. The Lord is the faithful and true God, dear people. Do you see that? Do you realize that? Do you understand it? Does that penetrate into your heart? We have a hard time, I think, perhaps thinking of someone who is always faithful. So often we're, we're disappointed with other people in our lives. We're disappointed with ourselves because we break promises or they break promises. But the Lord does not ever break his promise. What good news for us. Because the Lord promises us that all who trust in Christ surely have eternal life and we can rest in that because of the faithfulness of God declared to the people of Israel this faithful love we can be confident in our day in our age of the faithfulness of God shown to us who trust in the Lord Jesus 
And because of that, we like Israel and like all other nations can proclaim the glory of the Lord, which is how Malachi wraps up this little section. The purpose of this whole message as it's repeated over and over again throughout Malachi is for the glory of the Lord. If we look at verse five, this final verse in in our text this morning, we read, your own eyes shall see this. That is uh, the ruination of Edom. And you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. This is a public and evident display of God's love for his covenant people and his passing over all of those whom he has not chosen. This is an evident display of God's love and wrath at the same time throughout history and in history. This is a glorious display. This is the Lord in in working out his purposes of providence, bringing these things to pass so that his people would proclaim his praise. The second half of verse five, you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. You shall say God's greatness requires a response. God's love for Israel and his rejection of Edom ought to produce in us, must produce in us an exclamation of of wonder and awe and praise. Who but the living and true God could do such things? Who but the triune God could choose a people for himself and perfectly accomplish their salvation, the Father electing a people and the Son procuring that salvation for them and the Spirit applying it to them in time? Who but God can do such great things? Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. We ought to praise God for these things. We ought to praise God that his greatness is not confined to a small plot of land in the Middle East. Jehovah God was not and is not some regional deity who who could only accomplish things in this small little area of Palestine. He is great beyond Israel. He is great in all the earth. He is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. The everlasting, steadfast, covenant love of the Lord for his people is demonstrated here in these words of Malachi. And it's demonstrated throughout history. And it ought to make us primarily praise him, but it ought to make all people everywhere praise his name. For he is great. Dear people, Sometimes we, we come into worship and in the morning or the evening, we've, we've had a rough morning or we've had a rough afternoon. Things have gone wrong. You can't find the kid's shoes or the, the car is having trouble starting or you spilled coffee on your dress shirt and now you have to go change. And it tends to take our minds off of what it should be focused on on the Lord's day, the greatness of our God. When that happens... May I exhort you and encourage you. Meditate on the greatness of the Lord God. Meditate on his greatness throughout history. Meditate chiefly on his greatness displayed upon the cross in his salvation of sinners. But 
when everything's gone wrong and you come into worship and you think, I don't really feel like praising him. I don't know if I can praise him. Praise him anyway for all of his great goodness. Think about it and let that fuel you in your praise of God. He is great and greatly to be praised. That is why he loves his people. That is why he sent Israel this message and why it is given to us as well as his people to demonstrate his glory, which he ought to be praised for. The Lord has sent this message to his people, to Israel first and now to us, to declare to us his covenant electing love so that he might be praised as he ought to be praised people of God, let us, even as we continue to worship him this morning and this evening, as we worship him in our private devotions or in our family worship, as we worship him week to week each Lord's day, let us remember the greatness and glory of our Lord so that we praise him as he ought to be praised. Let us glorify the Lord our God this day forth and forever. Let's close in prayer. Lord and our God, we thank you for this word which you have given through the hand of Malachi to your people. We praise you, Lord, that you have revealed this steadfast covenant electing love that you chose a people for yourself, that you set your love upon them and that love will never go away, will never disappear, remains even when we are faithless towards you, you are faithful to us. Oh, help us to be faithful, Lord. Help us to respond in faith and love. Help us to glorify you, Lord, for we know that this great salvation which we have in Christ is so that we can praise you, so that we can be those who worship you in spirit and in truth as you desire Help us to do this, Lord, for your glory and honor, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's take a few moments now to to meditate on this word that the Lord has revealed to us in Malachi. Uh, Let's think of the love of the Lord even as it is expressed in his great salvation for us through Christ, our Savior, as we continue to worship him this morning.